You know you're in a church doing the Lord's work when there's a fiddle. Amen. And it is a fiddle because we're south of the Ohio River. And just over the way is a creek, not a creek. My wife makes fun of me all the time because I say creek instead of creek. And I said, the difference is where you're from and one holds water and one doesn't. So, but, uh, uh, hey, before I start, uh, on your prayer list, if you would, uh, I know this is a praying church because I know your pastor and I know some of you. Pray for Tom Alford. That's my dad. He's lost and he's turning 70 and his health is, you know your, your country dad's getting older and going down in health when he has you come and split his wood for him. So if you would, pray for him for salvation. Uh, boy, if you weren't in Sunday school, you missed a good one. Brother Todd, where you at? Hey, don't cut yourself short. God's using you. He is. And uh, I heard Adrian Rogers say one time, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Brother Todd, what a great illustration on how we need to lift each other up when we fall. The... Uh, heard a story one time about a preacher who he uh, would preach a little long often and he used to say well I can preach on anything and he always used the analogy that preaching was like a blade of grass he could preach on it one day a member from his congregation saw him out in the yard mowing and the member said cut it short preacher cut it short <laughs> so so I will be quick this morning, as quick as quick as I can. But uh, are there any visitors? I see some new faces. Are there any visitors here this morning? Any at all? If there is, I'm I've, obviously I'm not the pastor here. Brother Morton will be back this evening. Uh, boy, don't miss his preaching. Be back. Make sure you're here every service to hear him. But uh, I want to thank you for allowing me to come and, and fill in God's pulpit here at Barry Baptist. It's always a pleasure to be here I'll be in John chapter 14 John chapter 14 this morning and I'm going to go ahead and, and read the text will be in verses 1 through 7 and if you're able to if you would stand in the reading of God's word this morning. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith to the Lord, We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Bow our heads and hearts now, and when I've finished praying, feel free to have a seat. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for all you have done. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, thank you for our Savior. 
I pray this morning that if someone here has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they would not leave here without wholeheartedly giving themselves to Christ. Lord, that they could have eternity in heaven. And Lord, I pray for Brother Morton this morning. Watch over him. Watch over Pastor Jeff as he's preaching. And Lord, I pray for all Baptist preachers and Lord, all godly men that are spreading the word this morning. You would use your word and save someone. Lord, I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. So here we are in John chapter 14, and it's a rather unique time. You see, the disciples have been with Jesus for a while now, and this is a continuation of Christ's discourse after the Lord's Supper up in the upper room. Jesus has already been found uh, in his own mind guilty, so he is now gone. He's left. Simon Peter has already been told that he's going to deny Christ. Now, can you imagine how he's feeling at this time? Jesus had already started to begin, starts to, begin to warn them of some of the things that are about to happen to him. Jesus is in a unique position. You see, he now has to comfort those who are left in the room because he told them, some bad things, and he knew what he was up else what he was about to tell them. He knew some bad news was about to fall on their ears. The people he had been serving with and had been following him were about to be just hit with a sledgehammer in the heart. You see, they lived and served with Jesus, as I said, for a while now, and they're being told that they're about to be separated from him. Jesus is telling them that he's going to go away. Jesus, being a personal Savior, he knew what they needed. You know, it's no different than today. It's really not. Jesus, the personal Savior, knows exactly what everybody in this room needs today. You could be hurting. You could have lost a loved one. But God knows what you need. The question is, do you surrender and accept what God has? Or do you hold on to the pain? You see, God is addressing the pain that they have. And he's, Jesus is about to address the pain they're going to feel. Now, picture, if you will, and put yourself in their place. I've told you before when I preach, I always try and put myself into the storyline. Now, you're with Jesus, the Son of God. God in the flesh. You've seen the miracles. You've been told what's going to happen. You need some encouragement, do you not? So here you are. Verse 1, the Bible says, let not, and we're going to break this first part down. He says, your. That's, that's a personal address right there. And I like it when you see those in, in Scripture because you can say, well, he's talking to me. He didn't say, Simon Peter, let your heart not be troubled. He said, your. So fill yourself in there. And he says, heart. doesn't say your mind. He doesn't say, calm your mind or, or just relax a little bit. He says, your heart. You know, the heart is the very essence of who you are. And the scary thing is, God says, the heart is what? Wicked. No man can know it. You see, we are depraved people, and we needed a Savior. 
He's not referring to the organ that's pumping the heart or pumping the blood. He's referring to them in the essence of their spirit. Don't lose heart. Listen to what I've got to say. Don't be troubled. And troubled here is teresetho, which means hurried or confused. Jesus does not say, don't be sad. Oftentimes, uh, my kids growing up, and they're still young, they're still growing up, because of maybe the way I was raised or whatever, I would say, hey, stop your crying. Well, I didn't see the need for them to cry, but you know, something had hurt them and they were crying. Jesus didn't say, don't be sad. You see, he, he understood them because he is a personal Savior. Then he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. When we hear the word are many mansions, let me be real clear. I, I think oftentimes, and I did for a very long time, we have the idea because of this verse here, Jesus right now has a pencil over his ear. He's got a tool belt on with a hammer on the side and maybe some pneumatic tools, and he's building houses for us. That's not what this verse is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You see, Jesus doesn't have to build it. The mansions are already there if you read what he's saying. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. You see, my Bible says over in Acts, you, you can see it. When old Stephen was being stoned, he looked up and Jesus was where? On the right hand of God, already in heaven, serving, making intercession for our sins. He's in heaven today. And he says to prepare a place for you. Now I tried to reach Brother Morton to uh, ask him what he teaches here. So if, if it's contrary, well, go with him. He's your pastor. I don't believe this, he's building heaven. People say, well, the mansions are heaven. No, the mansions are in heaven. I believe he was also making a direct reference to the cross. He was going to prepare a place, a way for you to go to heaven and on that cross he would be that sacrificial lamb you see the cross was not for Jesus the cross was for the sinner the cross was for us it wasn't for Jesus it was the means upon which he would be hung up there but you know they didn't even kill him the Bible says what about Jesus when he died he gave himself up the cross was for us folks what a symbol. We've all heard it before. Outstretched arms. The punishment he took for us. The cross was for us. Jesus was the only one that could go on that cross. The only one. The only perfect person. Now you say he was God, so therefore he was perfect. No, the Bible says he became man and he still retained his perfection. You say, well, he wasn't like us in every way. The Bible says he was attempted in all ways as we are. You say, well, there was, no, there was no heroin back then. How was he tempted? Well, he was tempted the same way the Bible says we're tempted today, through the eyes, the lust, right? 
That was still around back then. There's nothing new. The temptation is still the same. It's the flesh. And the Bible says Jesus never gave in to it. Perfect. Three things from these verses that you can hold to be true. One of those is we're going to go over them, but on these three things, there's a lot in this life you cannot count on. But let me tell you, folks, this morning, you can count on God's Word. You can count on what this book has to say. And last time I preached here, I preached on how we can count on it. Got a little fired up that morning. And today, and we just had this talk with our daughter over, uh, of all places, a meal at Taco Bell. We were talking about different things, and I try and help her by explaining to her that the world will water things down. The world will make things seem they're one way, then really they're not, as though it's not an actual fact. And my concern for my kids, they will water down so much that they'll say, well, it's only partly true. Folks, this is all true. Despite what some liberal might say, or despite what some preacher might say and only pick and choose. It is true, and you can trust it. Psalms 118 and verse 8, it's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. Hey, every time, every time in your life, if you have a situation and somebody says, well, you probably should do this, if it goes against God's word, stick with God's word. Can I, can I just, just encourage you to do that? And it's not going to be easy. It's not. I've heard preachers say, if you just follow God, everything works out. Well, it does, but it's not always easy. And we don't often understand it. Matter of fact, the hard times that have come in my life, there's some I still don't understand, and they're well past me now. You have to trust in what he's saying. The Bible tells me that if I'm going to trust in anyone, you need to trust in God. Over in, over in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, if you have your Bibles, turn over there and mark this. Chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know what? God doesn't choose not to lie. God cannot lie. So therefore, you have a choice this morning. You can believe man who, anyone ever hear told a lie? <laughs> I think everybody in here has. And if you didn't raise your hand, well, we'll continue to preach online until you raise your hand. Hey. You want to follow man who will lie or you want to follow God who cannot lie? It's not that he doesn't want to. It's because he can't. The first thing we're going to hear about the truth of this is if the scriptures were not true, Jesus would have told us. You know, Jesus told some pretty strong words in, in his day. He called people vipers. He called them snakes. He wasn't afraid of the truth. If there's one thing you can count on is that if the scriptures were wrong, he would have told us. He told us everything else, good, bad, ugly, anything in between. 
from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is written, it is the Word of God, so therefore it is true. And you have a choice. You do. Every, everything in life has a choice, doesn't it? You can choose to believe it, or you can choose not to. But I can tell you this, I've never found this book to be wrong. So I'm going with the good track record of 100% right. Every part of this book is true and accurate. Hold to the fact that no matter how many versions you can come up with, the Bible in almost everybody's hand this morning is true. And I say almost because I don't know what version you're using. And I've told you before, when I preach, I've never preached or studied out of anything other than King James. And that's my conviction. Fully inspired. Fully inspired. You say, well, Simon Peter put his own little curve on it, or he put his own little flare, or, or uh, you know, Paul put his own little flare on his way. Yeah, he did. But it'd be no different than me saying, Brother Todd, I need you to walk to the back of the room and then come right back and sit down. And Brother Todd has a choice. He can walk straight back there. He can come around this way and come right back. Either way, he's doing what I told him to do. God said, you'll put this here, and you'll put this thought here. And they said, yes, sir. And they wrote it down. It's inspired. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Well, you know what I like to hear as a preacher? I like to hear this. If you got your Bibles, follow along with me a little bit. Chapter 1, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 1 and verse, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. Let me tell you, if the Bible says these men were holy, let me tell you, they were holy. Now, they're not holy on the level of God. Of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. goes back to what I said. God told them what to say. They were moved what to inspired what to put in here. The doctrine, the truths, the facts, even to John on the aisle, what is going to happen. It was all inspired of God. They did not write just anything, but they wrote everything God told them to. In Revelation 21, I don't believe there was more God had intended to put there. The Bible says it was complete. And I believe we have the complete word of God today. People talk about life problems. They say, oh, life is so tough. And I, and I, I fall into this, especially when you get me talking about politics. Man, I can get worked up. You find me a stump and I will preach for days when you start talking politics. And I get so mad. Uh, my wife can tell you, I'll see something and I'll, on TV and I'm like, that idiot! You know, and I get worked up. And we want to talk about how bad thing is, how bad things are becoming. Listen, you get into God's word, you realize the ending. And then you can get a smile on your face. Some Christians say, well, I, and keep in mind, I use that term loosely, Christian little Christ. Some of them might say, well, I don't believe all of it. You really believe he could be swallowed by a fish? 
Well, if God said he could, yeah, I'm going to choose he could. You don't need to tell me you don't believe in it. I can usually see it in their life when they say that. Well, I don't believe all of it. Well, yeah, that's why you're still out running in the bars because you think that's how you're going to witness to people. You see, when people say they don't believe all of it, you, you take a good look in their life and you can tell they don't believe all of it. Amen. Psalms 12 and verse 16. Psalms 12 and verse 6. 12 verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalms 19 in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. Folks, it's been around before us and it will be around long after us. If the scriptures were not true, he would have told us. Verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Secondly, if there was another way, Jesus would have told us. As a matter of fact, if there was another way, Jesus would have chose it. If you remember in the garden, what's he pray? Let this cup pass from me. Hey, he knew, though, there was no other way. Right now, if you believe in any other way to get to heaven, and I don't know everybody in here, that's why I'm being very vague today on who I'm speaking to. If you know any other way, or you think you know any other way other than the blood of Jesus Christ and accepting Him as Savior, you're wrong. You can be, and here's what's really heartbreaking sometimes, you can be the kindest, most giving person in this earth and still go to hell. You can be the most loving, caring, nurturing mother or father and without Jesus Christ, you will still go to hell. You can be the greatest son or daughter to your parents, and still, without Jesus, you'll still go to hell. You see, if there was another way, he would have told us. Jesus is not a Savior. He is the Savior. I can't emphasize that enough. In today's world, we want to try and mix not religion, because it's a relationship. We want to mix the relationship with Jesus Christ with other things that make us feel good. Well, I go to church and I'm a good dad. Don't work. Well, I go to church and, and I give 50% of my income to missions. doesn't matter. You see, Jesus Christ is the only way the only Savior for mankind. He says, The way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4, verse 12, you don't have to turn there. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is what? None. None other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Folks, if you want to be saved, it's the name of Jesus that is going to save you. The truth, here's the truth. Without Jesus, you die and go to hell. that simple and again people say well I don't believe in hell sadly one day you will 
You say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I just don't believe that hell is what we make it out to be. You know, Jesus made it out to be the exact same way I'm presenting it to you this morning. So if you want to believe him to be your Savior, you need to believe what he said about going to hell. You say, well, what's the gospel? The Bible says that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says you believe in him for eternal life, then you believe that he died the sin and paid the sin debt that you cannot pay. You're saved. He says the truth. He says he's the life. I don't know about you, but now that I've been saved a while, if I didn't have Jesus, my life would probably be pretty meaningless. You say, well, how is that? You could be still be productive. But what's it what's get at the end? You understand me? What's it get at the end? Nothing. You're going to die and go to hell. Well, I got a good job. I pay my taxes. Well, that's great. What happens when you die? It means nothing. Over in Mark 8, 36, What shall profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? You see, without Christ, it's, this, this life is meaningless, folks. Because there's nothing at the end except the eternal fire. Knowing what he was about to go through. Now, again, put yourself, put yourself in the storyline. Knowing what he was about to go through, there was another way he would have done it. We read all the way from Isaiah all the way to the, to the New Testament. We knew and we now know what Jesus went through. The Bible says he was going to have his beard. Now, I have a beard. And when Michael comes up and he's wrestling around with me and if it gets pulled or something, boy, it hurts. And when I was a young, young teenager, I thought I could grow a beard. It looked more, I don't even, can't even explain how nasty it looked. I had a whisker here and I let that thing get that long and someone would come up and pull that out and I was beardless again. But I had a friend of mine, his dad, when I started growing a goatee, Right out of high school, he'd come up and, man, he'd grab that thing. And he'd be like, what are you doing, Shaggy? And, man, it would just hurt. You know, and then I started understanding what Jesus' pain he went through. The Bible says they plucked his beard. The Bible says they whipped him till organs could have possibly come out through the muscle tissue. Blood. Pain. You understand the man that whipped Jesus Christ when he, was, when he was taken? That was his job. He was trained to do that. What do you do for a living? Trained professional athletes. So you know what you're doing, right? Hey, this man, he was trained to know how to beat someone within an inch of their life. And that's what he did to Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was going to be hung up on a cross, and he was. Nails went through his body, hung him to a piece of wood. The pain he was going to suffer, and he knew what was coming. He knew. I mean, goodness sakes, the Bible says the Word of God is God. He knew what he was going to go through. Humiliating. My goodness, the humiliation that our Savior had to have gone through. Being hung up there. 
Now, whether you believe he was up there nude or he had a small cloth on, let me tell you, it, it, whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. He was humiliated. God, spit on. You spit on me and slap me as I'm walking by you. Sorry, Todd. It's game on. God was spit on. How gross and vile is that person that did that? And you're telling me if he didn't have another way, he wouldn't have chosen? Folks, if there was another way, the truth is he would have told us. Verse 3. I told you I wouldn't be long. Verse 3. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. Third truth. If he was not coming back, he would have told us. You see, if Jesus was God, and we've already learned that God cannot lie, and he says he's coming back, guess what, folks? He's coming back. He's coming back. And I'm going to I don't think my dad would ever listen. Is this going to be on the radio? I know Brother Morton's message is going to radio. It might be. All right. Well, you know what? It's, it's the truth. Growing up, my parents were divorced. And there were times every other weekend, I would sit and I would look out the screen door down Maddox Road and wait for my dad's car to show up. And there were times he never showed up. And as a young boy, that crushed me. That's my daddy. Why ain't he coming to see me? Praise God, one day I'm going to see my daddy in heaven, my heavenly father, and his son, my brother, my Savior's coming to get me. He said he'd be here. He's going to be here. And that one I know will happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Praise God, one day you're going to hear a trumpet. I like the violin, but I'm going to love that trumpet. Woo! And I'm going out of here and I'm going home. He's coming again, folks. It's exciting. After the rapture of the great tribulation, then he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. You know what? It's all over after that. He's already won. It ain't even happened yet, and you can put it down. He's going to win. I enjoy talking about the end time. I remember when I first got saved, sitting around at First Baptist with Brother Morton and, and some of the other men we'd had, was it Nathan, on was it Monday night prayer meetings? We'd sit around, and man, if we got into the topic of prophecy and end times, man, I was like a sponge soaking it up as much as I could. I didn't understand it. Now, I ain't going to lie, I still don't understand some of it. But man, I love talking about the end times, especially now. A little more mature, a little more seasoned, seasoned in the Word. I know what's ahead of me. I know I can be happy in all things. Find it fascinating the things to come. You see, I'm, I'm not worried about the Antichrist. People at work, you know, there's some Christians there, and we get to talking, and some of them line up pretty much where, where I do, and 
they'll say, you think this guy's the Antichrist? Or you think this guy could possibly be the Antichrist? And, and back several years ago, do you think Obama's the Antichrist? No, but he could fit the bill. You know, they, that's the stuff you get into conversations with. Hey, they say, do you think he's coming soon? My answer is always, I hope so. I hope so. And that just recently we were in a we're in a discipleship group and we were talking about the second coming. And I, I, the older I get, the more I look forward to the coming of Christ. When I was saved as a late teen, I don't want to get I don't want the rapture to happen yet. I I'm, I want to marry this girl. God let me marry her. And she's so happy for it. I wanted to get married. I, I wanted to continue my career. But then someone pointed out, well, if your career is more important than seeing your Savior, there's a, there's a mess right there. You got your priorities wrong, Trent. The discipleship class two week, last week, last week, I said, I'm looking forward more and more to seeing Savior come back to see in the face of Jesus, to hear that trumpet. And a man said, well, I'm not ready yet. He said, I don't want him to come back yet. He, he says, I want to see some family members saved. And I didn't say this to him, but I got to wondering. I want to see my daddy saved. I want to see him saved so bad. I, can't, I mean, I can't explain it to you. But the truth of it is, if I'm more concerned about my dad than I am seeing my Savior, I possibly have my priorities messed up. You see, what's the first thing in everybody's life if you're saved? God. God. And the second you put something on this earth before God, you've just messed up the priorities. And that's hard to say. Because if God was to come back, if Jesus was to come back right now, I know what would happen to my and it's hard sometimes, folks. It is so hard sometimes to put the priorities right. But God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, doesn't he? That's what he says. So Jesus, if he wasn't coming back, he would have told us. If you study out history, faith, what I always tell you about reading Who reads? Leaders are readers. If you read about history, and I love reading about history, there are people who have claimed to be a Savior. There have been folks that said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one. Not a single one has ever said, I'm coming back to get you. And we all know not a single one has ever died and come back from the grave. He's coming back, folks. They're still dead, but my Savior's alive. You guys in this room understand that Jesus is alive today and is the Savior of sinners. If people knew God's word and understood its accuracy then they would know to be ready. 
Brother Todd, I think you asked this, the question this morning, do we, you think it's close? Didn't you ask that this morning? I think you did. I think it's close. I was just having a text conversation with our associate pastor. And I said, how close do you think it is? Because to me, America was the last bastion for Christians. And look at America now. Folks, I've got chills on the back of my neck right now thinking how close it could be. People say, well, they've been saying that since the Bible times. Well, I just smile and say, man, and it's getting closer, do you think? That just means we're closer than ever. And I might die and go to the grave without being raptured, taken alive. But you know what? It still won't matter. Because I'm still going to be in heaven. God, God still has got a place for me. Jesus will still be my Savior. I'll still be with Him in eternity. I'll still be praising Him. I'm still the one John saw in Revelation standing there praising Jesus. I don't care if He comes back when I'm alive or dead. I'm still going to heaven. He says this. <coughs> Pardon me. He says, Receive you unto myself. Unto myself. So comforting to hear the Savior say, I will receive you unto myself. Michael, come up here real quick. Hurry up. Come on, or I'm going to get this big fellow whoop you. This is what Jesus is saying. You love it when I do this to you, don't you? I didn't think so. That's right, you don't lie in church, son. Don't lie anywhere. Here's what Jesus is saying. When I come back, now this is what I love. When I come home, what's the first thing you do when I come when you hear that door? And what do we do? We do this. This is what we do. That's what the Savior's going to do. We're going to hear the trump. Thank you. We're going to see the Savior come back. We're going to be with him. And it's all over then. The pain is over. He's going to say, I love you. Man, what a day. What a day. Jesus' work is done. And we come home. And just as Michael meets me at the door, I'm going to, I'm going to meet Jesus. What a day that's going to be. What a day. This wicked, evil world we're in. Wicked, you know, they're Satanists. Open Satanists that have political positions, elected political positions right now as we speak. Right now in Detroit, it was voted to allow a statue, as they call it, Baphomet or Satan in Detroit in an open public park. Homosexuality and transgender lifestyle is protected but yet, the Christian speaks out, and man alive, you're, you're just you're a bitter person. You hate people. Folks, I don't believe God's going to stand for much more. And I hope he don't. And that's hard to say. 
it's hard to say. Because I and my dad's lost. So is my brother. All things considered, probably so is my sister. But I hope he comes. That's the truth of it. That's the truth. If there was another way, he would have chose it. If the scriptures were wrong, he would have told us. And that he is coming back. When I was a kid, well, I know I'm getting old. It's another kid's story. When I was a kid, man, we, we lived out in Claryville before we moved out to Grant Slick. And Grandpa had a farm up there off Maddox. And, and if you're familiar with Claryville, there was families we all grew up in that little, like, a square right there. And you had the Ruffs who had some property and the Glons who had property goes all the way back to the creek and it held water, so it was a creek. And, man, we, we would go at night because there was a street light and you could hear that thing hear that thing hum and when you heard that hum it's time to play manhunt hide and seek in the dark if you're a teenager you're not allowed to play this and boy we'd hide and there was that one person who had the power and if that person had the power you're out but after a certain time that person with the power had to count, right? And you always, if you're one high, and you say you got to count to 10,000, but the guy who had the power says, no, I'm counting to 10. And you'd run off, and you'd try and find a hiding place where no one would find you. And the person with the power would always say, ready or not, here I come. If Jesus to yell that this morning. Are you ready? If Jesus was to say, ready or not, here I come, would you spend eternity in heaven or would you spend eternity in hell? You see, the thing with salvation, once you die, it's too late. Make sure this morning you know where you're going to be. Scriptures are true. He's the only Savior and He's coming again. The question I have for you all this morning is what will you do with these truths? You see, if you're saved and you believe that, then these truths should make you want to serve a little harder. They should make you want to go out and tell your lost family members how to be saved should make you you a little excited too because he is coming back but if you're here this morning and you're lost and, and let me let me be real clear if you have any doubt i don't mean you're the person who says yeah i'm lost openly just straight up if you have any doubt that if jesus came back today where you would go Get that right this morning. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what? That's everybody. None of us are different when it comes to sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the bad part. The good part is this. 
with the gift of God. Eternal life through who? Christ Jesus. When I was lost, when I realized that my sin was going to send me to hell, there was no thing more I wanted to not go to hell. And I've heard preachers say, you shouldn't trust Jesus so you just to get out of hell. Let me tell you something. You trust Jesus to get out of hell and to serve him. If you're here this morning and you have any inkling that you are not saved this morning, trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Trust the death, the burial, the resurrection. And if you're saved, hey, I, there, there's, no, there's no special power at these steps up here. There's not. But there is special power in prayer. If you're here this morning and you're saved, think of that lost loved one. Right where you're at, kneel and pray, put their name before God and ask God to, to save them. Maybe come up here and pray for them. And I tell you, if someone's up here praying for a lost one, Todd, you talked about being a family and lift them up. Come up and pray with them. Nothing better than a full altar, people praying for lost. And I keep mentioning Nathan, because when I got saved, Nathan was at First Baptist. Well, I can remember praying for people and seeing them get saved. Folks, today, one of two things. Either you're saved or you're lost. You're either going to heaven or hell. If you're lost, accept Jesus today. If you're saved, bring someone before God. Brother Todd. <clears throat>